You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our Charity Champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this episode, Providence Hospice. And we don't just leave a family to pick up the pieces. We are there with them. Community Ambassador Bronda Hayes tells us how they serve the community as the only nonprofit hospice in the area. Last year alone, we did $1.3 million in uninsured care. When they ring our phone, our question is, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. Not what insurance do you have? And now let's get to know our champion. All right, welcome to the Charity Champions podcast. We got Bronda Hayes here in the studio today representing Providence Hospice. Can we start with you just kind of introducing yourself and then telling us about Providence Hospice? Yeah, my name is Bronda Hayes and I'm the community ambassador for Providence Hospice. I do all of our public speaking and community awareness to educate the community more. We felt like we do a lot of education with healthcare, so doctors, hospitals, physicians, mm-hmm. nursing homes. But we weren't as intentional about educating the community, the people Mm -hmm. who are making the decisions to put their loved ones on hospice. Mm -hmm. So my job is to go out and educate churches, community organizations, anybody basically who will listen and hear about hospice and what we do and the services we provide. So how did you guys get started? Providence Hospice is a nonprofit hospice, and we basically started about 24 years ago. Providence decided they wanted to start a hospice, but they didn't want to run it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Community Hospice of Texas is actually our, out of Fort Worth, is our corporate office. And we started the Waco office. We grew from there. And that really grew and took off where we were seeing more growth in the rural areas. Mm. So in the Whitney, Mejia office. So we opened those two offices. And the reason why we opened those two offices was because when you're in a crisis, with your loved one when you have someone there and you have to wait like an hour for a nurse to get to you Mm. with your loved one, it can seem like forever. Right. So when you have someone, you have nurses, you have aides, you have chaplains and social workers living in your community, it's really important to have them there and have them close. Mm. So we decided those two offices were necessary so we can better serve those communities. So that's Whitney and Mejia, you said? Yes. Okay. So we have Waco, Whitney and Mejia. And so we could better serve all those communities there. <laughs> when I first learned about you guys, a couple of the things that stuck out to me is that you guys are nonprofit. And mm-hmm. is that common for a hospice service? No. No. So we're the largest nonprofit in Texas. Basically, what that means is we're able, we don't have shareholders waiting for their mm. kickback at the end of the year. Right. And we're able to serve those uninsured patients, the people who don't have Medicare, don't have Medicaid, and they don't have a way to pay for those services. We don't turn anyone away. For-profit hospices, they can take a certain number, but we don't turn those patients away. Last year alone, we did $1.3 million in uninsured care Wow. for patients. So we never say no to a patient. We never say no to a family. When they ring our phone, our question is, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. Not what insurance do you have? Right. As a nonprofit, we're able to offer several different programs, like our pediatric programs, Okay. So we're able to walk alongside those families as they 
the loss of a child is that's interesting yeah is that a common thing for hospices to do and, and how does that differ from the hospice that most people know about with elderly people it's not as common most hospices don't do mm-hmm. pediatric hospice because it's kind of a loss you don't because right. medicare most children don't have medicare and hospice is a medicare paid service oh, okay yeah so that's an unpaid service that we offer to families So we take care of those patients. We take care of those babies for their families. And we're able to, and we just love it that they trust us to take care of their children during that time for them. We were able to take care of a sweet little girl recently. And along with Make-A-Wish, we were able to send her to Disney World recently. And I mean, she was able to go and enjoy her time with her family. And we're able to send her family. And along with some people in the community, we had some amazing donations. And they had spending money and matching t-shirts. And we had limo take them to the airport and those sorts of things. And so those are the sort of things we're able to do for our patients and just offer them those amazing gifts. I love hearing those stories. Do you have any more specifically around some of the children that you've been able to help? We just have our amazing staff that works with our pediatric patients. When we get those patients and those kiddos, our nurses and our psychosocial staff, they really get in there and they just they are really present and because those families really need it. And I mean, they just get in there and they wrap their arms around them and they just love on them. And they're just they're just there with the with the family. And I mean, we just can't say enough. We do have to have a debriefing for our staff. We offer that because mm-hmm. it is pretty taxing. It's really it is it's, it's hard for our staff to go through that. But we do have amazing nurses, amazing social workers and chaplains that specialize in that. And they just they get in there. They love on them and, and just take time with those patients. We had one patient, she was turning 13 and her family had this amazing, you know, last birthday party for her. Mm. And it was a big blowout. And her wishes were she didn't, they didn't, she didn't want to pass at home because she had siblings that lived in the home and at home. And so we have our inpatient unit. And so we were able to grant her wish for her to pass at our inpatient unit and not at home with her siblings. And her mom and them were there and they got to hold her and she held her in her lap and just held her and loved on her while she took her last breath. And those are the moments that we love and that we're able to honor their wishes. And that's why hospice is such a gift. You know, Mm -hmm. when people deny it and they won't embrace that gift, you know, it's such a disservice to families because we can honor those wishes. We can give people exactly what they need at the end of life. And, you know, her wanting to hold her daughter, you know, those precious moments like that are, that's the outcome we want all the time for families. And I feel like it's twofold because the person that is passing obviously needs the help Mm-hmm. And you can help with pain management and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also giving that closure and, you know, being able to turn to the next chapter yeah. with the family and help them in that way. Right. Yeah. A lot of times we are taking care of the families more sometimes than the patients. Sometimes the patients are comfortable. They're, you know, they're very peaceful. And sometimes we're really taking care of the families. Mm-hmm. And even after once a patient passes, I mean, then what? Mm-hmm. Then that's when our grief, our bereavement coordinator and our grief services kick in. And we don't just leave a family to pick up the pieces. We are there with them. The loss is at least 13 months. But even after, I mean, if there's children in the home, you know, if there's a young parent, you know, if we had like a 30 something year old parent and they had young kids in the home and there was another parent left and those children or grandparents taking care of them, our bereavement coordinator will offer counseling sessions. We have our kids grief workshops and stuff that we offer throughout the year. And we have grief services that we offer not just to people who had loved ones on our services, but we also offer it to the community as well. Mm-hmm. So as a nonprofit, we're able to offer those services to the community too, and not just to people who had loved ones on our services. But we do make sure, even, especially if we know that there is some complicated grief, we make sure that we address that 
and we try and help that family as much as we can. And sometimes the grief doesn't kick in right away. Sometimes a year later is when, Mm. you know, when a holiday comes up, you know, and we're like, oh, that family's struggling now. Mm -hmm. And that's when we really lean into them and really focus on them for that grief. And being a nonprofit, I'm sure maybe you have some idea about the cost of a regular hospice, how much that would be versus what are the potential costs that these people that are getting hospice would be facing otherwise? Do you have any ideas? There's there's a lot of costs involved because you have to think about the medications, the the beds, the oxygen concentrators, you know, nebulizer machines, you know, anything comes up Hmm. in those moments. And we provide all of that in the homes or wherever the patient calls home. And especially when there's an uninsured patient, we make sure that they have everything that they need. So that's why it's so important. You know, we have through generous donations and our fundraisers that we have and even our employee giving campaign, 75% of our employees give out of each paycheck every pay period for our unfunded patients. That's amazing. And so, I mean, if that's not a investment in our company, mm-hmm. then I don't know what is. I mean, we make sure that our unfunded patients are taken care of because if we don't do it, who will? If we don't invest in our unfunded patients, we can't expect the community to as well. Mm-hmm. The other part about your organization that was kind of interesting to me is that you have the inpatient facility. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's common for hospices as well? No. We're the only inpatient unit between here, Austin, and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Wow. So what are some of those benefits of having that facility? So we can address pain and symptom management if it can't be controlled at home. We can actually do respite care there. So if caregiver in the home needs a break, Mm -hmm. so we can do like a five-day respite break for the caregiver because caregiver breakdown is a real thing. I mean, taking care of a loved one in the home is taxing and it's hard. It's especially hard when you're doing hospice end-of-life care for a loved one. We can also, we had where there was a patient of ours, he was in his 40s and he had young children in the home and he didn't want to pass it home with his children so mm-hmm. we made sure he was there and he passed it our inpatient unit because we didn't know how quickly his condition would change you just don't know sometimes right. how the human body works mm-hmm. and how the condition will change so we made sure that he was there so that when he did pass and his children didn't have to see that transition and see him pass so We made sure that he was there. So sometimes people's wishes are not to pass at home because there are children in the home or that sort of thing. So we made sure that they were there. And sometimes it's just for pain and symptom management and to transition people before they go home to make sure that they have everything they need in the home. I would also think that if you're visiting people in their houses, it's a lot more effort for the nurses and the providers to spend all that time and money, you know, just driving and gas to get Mm -hmm. to them. And they probably don't see them as often as they could, right? Our nurses and staff, they're actually really good about scheduling their visits and when they're supposed to. So it's it's on a case-by-case need. So if the if they're seeing the patients, if the nurses are seeing them once a week and they feel like and the patient or the family member calls and they say, I think you need to see my loved one, I think they need a visit now or today, then they'll go out. If it's 2 o'clock in the morning and they're in pain and they can't seem to handle it, that's what we're there for. We are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to take care of those patients. So if they need a nurse at 2 a.m. and it's Christmas Eve, we're there. That's what we're there for. So we're always there for them. We never leave them guessing themselves. We're their 911. So if they need something, we're there for them. But it's probably easier to monitor them when they're in your inpatient facility too, right? Yeah, but a lot of people do want to be at home. Right. They don't want to. They don't want that clinical setting. And it's right. it's more. It's actually more of a home feeling. And we do our connect tours once a month, 
They can call our office if someone ever wants to do a tour of our inpatient unit. But it's more of a home feel there. But most people do want to be at home. And we make sure that they have everything they need and they have all of the care and that they need. And we do partner with other entities if they need 24-hour care, like other nursing care in the home. So we can set that up for them. Well, as a charity champion, we're going to come visit your inpatient facility and kind of check it out. Mm-hmm. But for those who haven't been on a tour yet, you know, you said it's kind of homey. Can you kind of describe the facility for us? Providence Hospice Place is an eight-bed facility. So we have two suites. So that gives us more room for mm-hmm. more family, people who have larger families. And there's one side where the patient is and the other side where the family can kind of get some rest and yeah, recuperate. And sleep. And, and even the pa- the ones that aren't suites, those rooms are a lot larger than you would think. And mm-hmm. we can fit like a cot in there. There's a, still a place for family members to sleep. And we have recliners in there and there's TVs for them to watch. We have a family room where they can go and just kind of get out and We have coffee station, we have snacks, food, microwave. We have lots of places for people to just kind of rest and relax and just kick back and just be there with their loved one Mm -hmm. around the clock. And the nursing staff there is amazing. I mean, I couldn't say more about the people there. And they just love on people. I mean, and they're there. I got to spend some time working there when I first came to Providence Hospice. And I can't say enough about those moments when, you know, somebody's there alone and their family member hasn't, they haven't made it back. And, you know, you get to kind of sit there and and we know that they're changing. We know that they're getting close to that moment and the family member's on their way back. We've called and we're like, they're changing. You've got to get back. And we know they're about to pass Mm -hmm. and we get to hold their hand and be with them in those precious moments when they're about to take their last breath. But we get to also tell the family, we didn't leave them alone. Mm -hmm. We didn't let your loved one be here by themselves when they took their last breath. And that gives them some comfort that we didn't leave them alone and we stayed with them until they got back. So those are moments that we love, you know, we cherish mm-hmm. and that we got to be there with them during those times. So besides the stories you've already told, do you have any situations that were really impactful that you've heard about or been a part of? Yeah. When I actually worked at our inpatient unit, there was a patient and I was actually working at night and she just wasn't resting that night and I couldn't figure out why and something kept drawing me back to her room and and she had been with us for a while and so I thought it was maybe just because her husband had gone home that night and he didn't stay the night with her and so I asked her I was like what's going on with you why aren't you sleeping and she just she's like I don't I don't know so I left again then I came back and asked her again I said well something's wrong you know something's going on are you not comfortable and you know what's going on and so she She's like, no, I'm, I'm comfortable. And I said, well, something's going on. You're not sleeping. You always sleep. What's going on? Tell me. You can talk to me. And mm-hmm. so she finally told me she was afraid. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I said, well, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of dying or, you know, what? She said, I'm not afraid of dying. Y'all aren't going to let me suffer. I said, well, then what are you afraid of? And she was afraid of what's going to happen after. And sometimes it is spiritual. And we've noticed that with some of our patients and we can pick up on that. And so I said, well, why are you afraid of what's going to happen after? And, you know, she said, I, I don't think I've been, I've done everything right. I don't know if I've been None of us enough. have. And so I told her, I said, well, I just know that we have a forgiving father and he can, he'll forgive you if you ask for it. So I prayed with her and she finally went to sleep and she passed the next day. I bet you made her heart quiet enough so she can kind of just accept it. And... I mean, still, I mean, it's moments like that that mm-hmm. we just, I couldn't believe. And there's one, one of our chaplains, there was a little gentleman and he was estranged from his son and his son lived all the way in Germany. He had his son's address, but he didn't have a phone number for him. So he wrote him a letter and he said, your dad is ill. 
he is on our service. He is going to pass. I would like for you to talk to him. Here's my phone number. I really would like for you to call me before he passes away. Mm -hmm. And but, you know, this is what's going on with him. We're taking good care of him. And, you know, he just told him everything that was going on. And the dad with pride and everything, he was like, I'm not going to reach out to him, but you can, you know, you can write him a letter or whatever (laughs) if you want to. And so our chaplain did and he, the son finally did call him. And unfortunately, the dad had passed, but he was He's like, thank you so much for taking care of my dad. And thank you so much for everything that you all did for him. I'm glad you all were there for him and I was when I wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. And so it's just moments like that, that our psychosocial and our chaplain staff, that they go above and beyond. You know, he didn't have to write that letter. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to reach out to that estranged son. Yeah. You know, because the dad was like, well, you can do it if you want to, but I'm not going to. Right. But, you know, it's pride and you know how we are sometimes. He felt it in his heart to reach out to that son, but that son was grateful that he did and he told him and that we were there for that, that our chaplain, you know, took his time to write, write to him and let him know about his dad. So is that what keeps you guys going? Yes. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love what we're able to do for our patients and for their families. And I mean, it's just moments like that, that, you know, we're like, that's why we do what we do. Yeah. I recently had some grandparents pass within a month of each other. We had hospice for both of them and they became part of the family. Yeah. I mean, they, they came to the funeral, of course, but they still mm-hmm. are checking up on my mother-in-law and everything. And it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing the links they will go mm-hmm. to make sure that the family and the person passing is taken care of. It's yeah. really amazing. We've talked kind of about the services you guys provide. So you have the, the actual hospice services, kind of like pain management and also helping the family, mm-hmm. um, counseling them through that. And then you have the grief afterwards. Is there anything else that you guys provide different parts of the hospice journey? Yeah, we also have our Pathways program, and it's kind of a social work-driven palliative program. And that is for people who maybe in a year or so will be medically ready for hospice, or they are medically ready for hospice, but they're not mentally ready for hospice. Hmm. And we have a social worker who will, and we get those referrals sometimes from the hospital and sometimes from physicians. Sometimes he'll have to have those hard conversations and mm-hmm. just kind of walk people through that journey and get them ready for that. So that's another unpaid program that we have that's, that we provide that we just getting people there in those conversations because that's a hard conversation to have. And sometimes it's, it's a scary conversation as well. So we, we're very thankful for the social worker that we have that we that he takes the time to have those conversations and walk people through that journey as well. So where does the majority of your guys' funding come from? So we have, of course, we are paid through Medicare, Mm -hmm. you know, for our, when we bill, but we have our annual fundraiser, our Life's Hope Luncheon that we have, and it's coming up in April. Excellent. Yeah. So it's going to be a good time. We'll have an actual date soon. Mm -hmm. Then we have generous donations that people give us and through different grants, through memorials that people leave, Mm -hmm. through our employee giving. Okay. For our uninsured patients. What are some of the biggest needs you guys have right now? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we always need volunteers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have an amazing army of volunteers, but we always need volunteers in all three offices. So Waco, Whitney, Mejia, we always need volunteers. What kind of stuff does the do the volunteers do? So our volunteers, they sit with patients and families. Okay. Um, they provide that comfort with them as well. They help in the office with um, administrative um, duties as well. Mm-hmm. They, oh my gosh, I can't even count the number of things that they do. I mean, they do everything. I mean, they deliver things. They, I mean, a lot of times it's mostly building those relationships and sitting with families. I mean, they'll, they can give 
caregivers a break. I mean, if they need to run to the grocery store and they're sitting with and visiting with patients and they visit our patients that we have in nursing homes and assisted livings and they visit our pathways patients that are in nursing homes and facilities. And I mean, they just do everything. And so we love and honor our volunteers with everything because we wouldn't run as well as we do without the volunteers that we have. Awesome. I mean, we always need donations. We have, in a perfect world, a freestanding <laughs> inpatient unit would be perfect. And I mean, that would take a huge donation. But I mean, any kind of generous donations financially would be great. I mean, our uninsured patients, we always need help with that. I mean, that is just always needed. It's always necessary. Uninsured patients, if we could, like I said, we did, like I said, last year, $1.3 million in mm-hmm. uninsured care. Yeah. So, I mean, any portion of that would be amazing. But our biggest need, I mean, any updates that we do for our inpatient unit, you know, we we have to paint, we have to, you know, we have snacks that we provide for our families and, you know, we pay for that. And Mm -hmm. sometimes in the homes we provide, you know, when patients go home and we, they may not have sheets for their hospital bed that we provide in their home. And so we go out and buy those Mm -hmm. and, you know, we provide that and I mean, so there's there's a million little things. And usually on our Facebook page, we'll put like a wish list up every week. So watch our Facebook page (laughs) (laughs) and we'll put our wish list up. (laughs) Do you guys have a way for like someone to say, I want to sponsor a person or I want to like this be the person that I'm donating my money towards? Yes. If they just reach out to our office here in Waco locally, then we should be able to help them be able to donate. So that gets to my next point. You you mentioned volunteering and, and checking your Facebook page for supplies that you guys need. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to get in touch with you guys and to get started either donating or volunteering? Here in our Waco office, they can go to our website at providencehospice.org or just call our local office here in Waco. The phone number is 254-399-9099. They should be able to direct you to the right person to help you for any of those needs. Like always, our Facebook page has all of our information for grief services and donations and any, any events that we have coming up. All right, Bronda, thank you so much for coming in today. And thank you so much for the great work you guys are doing in the community. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org and look for the nominate button at the top of the page. You can also find more information on this podcast and all charity champions at charitychampions.org. We'll see you next time.